as you enter the Darien and enter the water highway, you, you, you pass by various villages, some with more blacks, some with more um, of the Kuna Indians, and um, some poor, some richer. And Paya was definitely the, the prettiest, uh, wealthiest um, Kuna um, town. And it was the end of the water highway, so it was, it was magical in that sense. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 213, Crossing Through the Darien Gap on a Motorcycle with J.D. Smith. Welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. If you know what the Darien Gap is, you know that most travelers opt to go around it by boat or over it by plane. But today's guest, J.D. Smith, decided to go through the 99-mile jungle by motorcycle instead. Needless to say, this is not your ordinary two-wheeled adventure. J.D., thanks for joining me. Thank you, Travis. So let's dive in. You and I were chatting a little bit before the interview about, you know, how we each ended up on motorcycles as kids and we both had the the Trail 50 experience as I think I think probably 50% of motorcycle riders must have as their first experience on a motorcycle. So fill us in on uh, how it is you got started and uh, and your love for for motorcycles, how that got kicked off. Okay, great. Yeah. So when I was 8, I had a a Trail 50 on the um, family ranch in southeastern Washington state. Then as I um, got into high school and, and college, didn't ride a lot, rode friends bikes and, and would do things like that. But when I turned 30, about 15 years ago, I got into motorcycling pretty, pretty seriously, mostly street motorcycling touring. I would get on my bike and just drive for days and, and go explore things. And I was reading the, the book, Proficient Motorcycling, and the author mentioned that dirt riding was a great skill set for motorcycling. So I, I bought a dirt bike, and I, I met some dual sport friends and and just went off and started exploring. And right now, I, I have a CRF450X in the garage and a BMW 1200 GSA. So I definitely prefer the dual sport um, and touring adventure bikes. It sounds like you got your interests honed in just like I did as far as uh, wanting something to, to go off in the dirt. Now you're out, you're down in Arizona, like we talked. So you probably have quite a bit of riding trails down there where you don't have to uh, touch much pavement. Yeah. And interesting how I, I went from a touring bike, which was my BMW LT to the, the dual sport adventure bike GS. I was my, my other job is real estate and I was looking at some property and I, I dropped my LT in a sandy wash and I'm like, you know, I need a dual sport. And so I, at the same time, this is in 2003, I, I thought I wanted to go down to Ushuaia. So I, I bought a um, 03 GSA and that's how I converted to dual sporting was um, dropping my LT in the sandy wash. <laughs> That'll do it. So did you ever make it down to Ushuaia? 
I have. I, I, um, in fact, that, that is one reason why I decided to do the Darien Gap. It's because I've flown my motorcycle, my 03 GSA, in both 03 and 04. I, I flew it across the Darien Gap from Panama to Bogota. And then the, the first time in 03, I actually got in an accident in northern Peru. So I flew my bike back from uh, northern Peru to to Miami, and then it was shipped over to Arizona. But then in 04, I was a- actually able to go all the way down to Ishwaya and back, and um, was actually able to. Um, there's there was back in 04, there was legal um, ways to get permits to Cuba, so I I was able to go to Cuba and spend two weeks um, on my GS touring the country. Uh, that's cool. So all these times, or these these few times that you flew over the Darien Gap, I have a hard time imagining flying over it and knowing what the Darien Gap is and the the dangers that lie within and thinking, boy, next time I really want to ride my motorcycle through there. So how did that transpire in your head? The book Obsessions Die Hard by Ed Culberson. He, in 1986, he drove his R80 GS through the Darien Gap. There's actually been, there's, there's five documented motorcyclists who have transited the Darien Gap. I'm one of them, but um, the, the prior four that I know were documented was a, was a group of guys on Rokon, the two-wheel drive motorcycles. Right. And, and they did it in, in the 70s. Then there was two explorers, Ed Culberson and, oh, Helge Peterson in the 80s that did it on R80 GSs, and then a, a man named Lauren Upton in the 90s, he did it on a Rokon, and then since the late 90s, I don't know of any documented cases of crossing the Darien Gap. So I, I, but Ed, I read his book, Obsessions Die Hard. His, his book is based on his love of the Pan American Highway. Pan American Highway runs from Alaska to Argentina, 30,000 miles, and it's interrupted by a 100-mile gap of the jungles of Panama and Colombia. And so in reading his uh, book, I was like, I want to do that someday. And in, in 2003, 2004, I went ahead and flew around, but I was like, I was like one day I'm going to do it. So I started researching uh, the couple that was in the book, um, Obsessions Die Hard. I found them real life. And so I started meeting with them and interviewing them and, and, and figuring out how I would do it. And just, just this January, I finally came up with the time and the money and the, the, the kind of the motivation. Um, what one part of my motivation was a, a marketing stick for my, my tour company, but I would say 60 to 70% was personal. It was just the mountain was there and you wanted to climb it. <laughs> right. Well, that's pretty uh, pretty ambitious. How does it feel to be one of five people that have ridden a motorcycle through there after all these years? It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, you it's it's a small part of your life, but you know, beyond just the pride of of being the fifth motorcyclist documented, at least I'm sure there's others that didn't document, but uh, the fifth documented motorcyclist, it it was just a magical area um, because I had been planning for 12 years. Um, I, I feel like I prepared well for it, and after it was all said and done, there was one thing I, I wish I had brought, and, and that was some antihistamine. Because <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, 
uh, you know, you're hiking through the jungle and riding through the jungle and, and you, um, you're getting bit by the bugs. At nighttime, you're in the mosquito net, but at nighttime, you're just sitting there with nothing to do but scratch. And if I'd had the antihistamine, it would have calmed that down. So that's, of all the things I wish I'd brought, it was, it was that. Number one Darien Darien Gap traveler tip is antihistamine. I I can I can get that. I don't know if I would have thought about that on my own trip. <laughs> no, I, I I will get that next time. No doubt. Okay, so before we jump into the meat of the the trip itself, let's walk through the preparation a little bit. You just said that you spent twelve years preparing for this, and and I think rightfully so. Um, what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about what the Darien Gap is. There might be some folks out there who really don't understand the the enormity of what we're talking about here. So describe what the Darien Gap is and why this is such a uh, an ambitious project. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll explain a little bit about the Darien Gap and then I'll, I'll jump into my preparation over the 12 years. But the Darien Gap is a 100-mile gap in the Pan American Highway. So as you're heading south from Alaska, you get to Panama City, you go 150 miles more, and you get to a town called Yavisa. That's the end of the paved dirt road of the Pan American Highway. Another 100 miles south of there is in Colombia, and you have the pavement or the dirt road beginning again, and it continues all the way down to the southern tip of South America to a community called Ushuaia. And so that 100-mile gap, there's, there's a couple ways you can cross it. You can cross it with um, with get, putting your bike in a um, in the dugouts and put it on the water highway, and that cuts the 100 mile gap down to roughly a, a 20 mile gap because you have 30 miles of water highways at the end of the road highway, and then um, you then enter a town in called Paya, and at Paya you're then on village trails. So to cross the Daring Gap on foot or bicycle or motorcycle is relatively easy related to a four-wheel transit of the Daring Gap, which has been done. A four-wheel transit of the Daring Gap requires a lot of um, tree moving and, and bushwhacking, whereas I was able to um, go through on a small bike we can talk about later and um, stay on mostly um, the, the, the foot trails that would go between Panama and Colombia and the villages. So then um, that's that's a... And, you know, in, in the Darien Gap, it's, uh, there's no government um, influence or activity. So during that 20 miles, there was no government protection. In fact, I was turned around um, when I tried to go from south to north because the, um, the end of the government influence, they said they didn't want a, a North American dying on their watch. So um, I actually... Um, successfully transited from the from the south to the north and we can get into that later too but the um the um center front which is the panamanian border police turned me back in paya um initially so i had to come back from the um, south to the north then um from from paya to a, a town called um, singapore um in colombia it, it, it's all basically managed by the um, colombian anti um, government rebel group called FARC, and it's their mountain. And uh, the guide that I hired was a um, Panamanian National Park, Daring National Park guide. And so he was familiar with FARC and had friends that were in FARC. And um, 
he said, you know, you have to respect them and, and notice their mountain. So um, that's a description of, um, of the Darien Gap. Um, do you want me to jump into the um, preparation, or do you have questions on that? Yeah, Noah, go ahead and talk about the preparation, and then uh, as we discuss your, your travels through, we might visit the FARC again. Okay, so the, the preparations started, probably preparations started in my head as soon as I read the book. I was, uh, it became my obsession, um, obsessions die hard. I, I saw it as a, as a challenge. I, I, um, I began thinking about how I could do it. Um, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can, um, you, can, you can do it almost solo if you wanted to, and you could bring pulleys, and you know the, the 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 terrain that you couldn't ride up, or the trees that you couldn't ride over. You could use pulleys to um, to get over those obstacles, or you can use the local um, inhabitants and hire them as porters. I chose the um, I chose the porters, but let's continue into the um, preparation. So I started thinking about how I could do it, and then I began interviewing Patty Upton, who had had done the Daring Gap four wheels with her husband in the 80s, then had walked alongside of her husband as, as he did in the 90s with a Rokon, and had actually hiked with friends through the Darien Gap in the 90s also. And the as I was planning with her, she's like, hey, my daughter, you know, lives half time in Panama, and, you know, maybe she would want to go with you. And so it was, it was kind of cool to transit the Darien Gap with uh, um, the daughter of um, a, a a valid um, Darien hero, and so her, her name is Carrie, and she and I um, were kind of transit partners, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's see, preparation. I, um, you know, I had all of my um, video and and um, photographic equipment, my battery backups. I had um, all of the hard drives, the food. Um, when I landed in Panama, I had um, acquired a, a brand new um, Suzuki AX100, which is a 190-pound um, two-stroke drum brake, um, double drum brake. Um, I call it Pizza Hut delivery bike. And people <laughs> yeah. ask, hey, it really was. It was like a third-world country um, beauty. It, it was like simple and hardworking and... Um, and it was a perfect fit for my task because I wanted to be able to say, or not be able to say, I just wanted to be able to complete on motorcycle from Dead Horse, Alaska to Shwaya and this 100-mile gap I had not done. So we actually carried, I loaded up both ourselves and our and our backpacks and our equipment um, on this little bike and, and drove the 150 miles from Panama City to Yavita. And then, um, so it was able to be on the highway and also... Um, do decent. Um, <laughs> it wasn't a, a enduro, but it did decent um, in the uh, in the jungle. So we purchased that bike, and then um, when we got down there, she had found this man who was a um, a guide for the um, national parks, the Daring National Parks, and so we hired him. And then I actually started out with four porters. Um, and so, you know, we had to research them and, and find, you know, who, who would want to, um, you know, help us transit. That's, that's the most I can think about on the prep.
This is Colorado nature photographer John Fielder. This holiday season, consider giving the gift of Colorado. I have an extraordinary 6,000 square foot gallery in Denver's Art District on Santa Fe Drive. This season, I've framed for display my favorite and latest Colorado wilderness images. The detail inherent in these seven foot prints from recent summer treks into the Weminucci and Ragged's wilderness areas will make you feel like you were right next to me when they happened. And my new prints from last year's remarkable fall color season will add warmth and a focal point to any home or office setting. The gallery has a full selection of my popular Colorado books, calendars, and holiday and note cards. Most are signed personally by me. My latest book is Wildflowers of Colorado, a collection of my favorite wildflower images made over the past 20 years. I even discuss where I go to photograph the best wildflower meadows in northern, central, and southern Colorado. Just don't tell me if you get a better photo than me. The gallery is located in Denver at 833 Santa Fe Drive. We're open Tuesdays through Saturdays, 9 to 5. Visit johnfielder.com for complete information about the gallery, print pricing, to see all of my books and calendars, and to learn about the photography workshops I'll teach around Colorado in 2017, and even the one at Alaska's Inside Passage next July. That's at johnfielder.com. So, like I said, we would visit the the FARC again. Um, I, I guess that's probably the the most intriguing piece of this. I mean, you you rode through the Darien Gap, which is not an easy ride. I don't care what kind of bike it is. You know, even on this little one hundred cc two stroke thing you took, we're talking about jungle, swamp, uh, mountainous terrain, and that in and of itself is a is a ma- major feat to accomplish. But um, just going through an area that's protected by a, a guerrilla army like that has got to bring its own amount of uncertainty and fear. Um, how did you, how did you address that? I know you went through a, uh, with a guide, but mentally I have to think that I still wouldn't be quite settled enough to, to go through with it. Well, you've definitely put your finger on, on my biggest concern for the 12 years I was planning this. And as I was, um, entering the jungle, I, I actually, um, I'm not wealthy, but my dad is pretty wealthy. And so I actually, um, I had my real, my background's real estate. So I had my, my real estate attorney who's a personal friend. I had him on speed dial. So if anything, if anything happened, um, my girlfriend, um, who was on the other end of my satellite communicator, uh, would, would call Bruce right away and Bruce was prepared to negotiate um, and access any any money that might be needed. Um, FARC, FARC isn't looking to kill you. FARC's just lo- looking to fund themselves. And so um, uh, one, of my, one of my friends, um, Glenn Hegstad, he wrote a book called Two Wheels Through Terror. He yeah, was we'll actually... On. Oh, okay, cool. He was actually... He was actually captured by FARC in, in 02 and 03 and marched around the jungle for five weeks. So, uh, you know, they're, they're looking to fund their enterprise. Um, you know, he was released without payment. At least that's the official 
um, word, but, um, you know, it, it's not a big risk to be killed. And especially in the jungle like that, he was caught, he was captured in Medellin. I'm in the middle of the jungle. They're not used to, you know, capturing people in the jungle. It's more the bigger cities where they're looking to, to fund their enterprises. But they were a concern. And that's one reason why I chose my transit path and timing. There's, as I mentioned to you, there's two ways you can do the Darien Gap um, overland. One, you can do the full 100 miles of um, overland, and that takes about six weeks. Or you can, in which there's only one motorcyclist that has done that. Um, the other motorcyclists, um, for various reasons, have combined the water taxi or the water highway with their transit, like I did. But the, um, the, the 20 mile section was a quicker transit. And I've, I've done around 400,000 miles in 15 years and, and been to 60 countries. And so, and I've not run into any trouble of significance. And, and one reason I, I've done it is because I, um, I believe it's because I, I don't spend a lot of time just, you know, hanging out in the, in the bad areas. There's a Swedish guy who, um, in Colombia was attempting to cross the Darien Gap, but spent too much time in Rio Sucio and bark shot shot him in the head thinking he was a um, foreign spy. So um, speed, um, I think, is important. Safety is important because two of the men that have crossed the Darien Gap actually broke bones um, doing it. So, you know, you can't go so fast that you get hurt. But um, bark was definitely my biggest concern. And um, I, I mitigated in my mind by, you know, hiring a guide who knew them, interacted with them on a, you know, monthly basis, so to speak. And then also, um, by, you know, speed and, um, you know, like I said, I had my, I had my backup to hopefully, you know, negotiate with them before it got to the U S and the Colombian governments. Cause as soon as they got involved, they wouldn't allow, you know, payoffs and it got more complicated, but nothing happened there, of course. Right, right. Yeah, I was going to bring up the the Swedish backpacker, you know, because he was a, a well known case of of you know, somebody have, having gone through there and not coming back out. So it's interesting that you uh, you know described how he actually died because I had read that you know he was confused with a with a spy. So so your thought is that he basically lingered for a little bit too long and brought attention to himself. Yeah, uh, like I said, Glenn. Glenn Hexted is a as a friend of mine, um, the striking Viking, but um, to to some extent, I think maybe that's why he ran into a little trouble. Uh, also, is because you know, he was spending more time, you know, kind of in the country than I did when I tra when I traveled through Colombia three times in '03 and '04. I didn't spend a lot of time hanging out. You know, it was a well known dangerous country, and I was there to explore and, and then move on. So I think that's an important aspect. Um, he, I think his name was Jan. Um, he, um, he was, he was shot in the head, um, outside of Rio Sucio, which is a well-known, um, kind of, um, <clears throat> um, haven of park. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And I would say if, uh, listeners want to go back and listen to Glenn's interview about being captured, uh, go check that one out too. Uh, look, just look in the episode categories under the motorcycle section and find him there. That was a, definitely a, an interesting interview. They knocked him around for about five weeks and, and let him go. And his buddies basically bring, brought him a new bike and he continued on. So very, very interesting. Okay. So let's get into some of the, uh, the stories about 
actually going through there. So we've gotten pre- prepared. We've we've gotten our our guide, and we've obviously gotten permission from the FARC. Um, and actually, tell me a little bit about that as far as getting permission and the okay to pass through. How does that work? And again, how do you feel like you're how, how are you confident enough to go ahead and go through with it, thinking that the, the person that you're dealing with is on the up and up and all that? Well, uh, as far as permission from FARC, I did not formally get that. Uh, it is there. It is their mountain. And yeah, you have to respect that. But um, I did not sit with FARC and get permission. The, the people I did sit with was Cinefront, the Panamanian border police. And I knew as I was heading south that I, I would I would need their permission. But um, my preliminary research in Panama said, no, it's a free country. You can go. And when I got to um, the Cinefront um, terminus um, in, in Paya, they said, no, um, Panama City said you can go, but that's a different battalion. We're, we're the Yavisa battalion, and we say you can't go. So um, I actually, um, through satellite communicators and uh, um, a, a cell phone that had um, WhatsApp access, um, one of the villagers let us use, they, um, we, we had Carrie's father go all the way up to the director of Centerfront, which is answers to the president. And they're like, no, we're not letting you through. I said, okay. Um, so I said to the battalion head there in, well, the, the chief um, of the centerfront group there, I said, what if I come through the other way? Are you going to have a problem with that? He's like, no, no problem. And the logic I came up with is basically if they allowed me to go through those 10 miles to the Colombian border and FARC gave me a hassle or killed me, they would um, you know, get all kinds of hassle from the U.S. And, and, and media and that type of thing for allowing it to happen. Uh, whereas if I came in from the Colombian side, they would have no control and therefore no liability for anything that might happen to me. So I actually um, spent two days in Paya trying to negotiate. I thought about just you know going on without permission, but I decided not to. And I reversed my tracks and went to... Um, Sandblast Islands and hired a boat to Turbo and then actually entered the Darien successfully from Colombia to Panama. So did not have permission, but I, I am I am wanting to take other people if they're ever interested. And my guide, Isaac, said that if we did more than one bike, we would probably have to sit with FARC. And by the way, I don't know if you've been following, but FARC and, and Colombia have been trying to come to a peace in the the voters in, in Colombia voted down the, the peace agreement just yeah. in the last few weeks. Yeah, just last weekend they uh, they missed it by. I mean, it was it was pretty much a fifty fifty vote, but it just barely failed that uh, the peace agreement referendum. That'll be interesting to see what comes of that. Yeah, I, I I've, I've thought about it if it was passed, and I and I really think you have these you know career warriors, these these guys that know nothing but. Um, being, you know, in the jungle and carrying arms, there's there's other groups that they could join. So I don't know that they're gonna, you know, readily re-enter society. I think they'll um, they'll still be a, a problem, but we'll see. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I was, I was watching uh, some documentaries on it, and uh, that's exactly part of it. Is you know, these guys are saying, "Well, I don't, I don't really know how to be a, a civilian. I can't imagine putting down my arms and going into some civilian life and starting a life over again." So no, I, you know, I won't lay down my arms. And 
you know, this thing has been going on for 52 years and you know, we might very easily see another 52 without issue. Correct. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the, the passage itself. Um, we like to go into stories about times when things were great and then times when things weren't so well. So maybe, uh, maybe you start off with the, uh, time that things didn't go quite right. Did you have something, uh, something to tell about that? Maybe a uh, time that didn't go right or time you felt a little, a little sketchy or uncomfortable about your decision? Well, I think, um, probably the most difficult time for me, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be something that most people would think about when they think about, uh, Darren Gap and FARC and a motorcycle transit. It was actually a, an interpersonal, uh, relationship. The, um, the gal that I went through with, um, she was an explorer in her own right. She was 35 years old, and and I'd never met her prior to me landing in Panama. And she um, she told me she told me straight away. She's like, you know, a two to three week commitment's a big one for me, and we expected it to be two to three weeks. And and so we we made it uh, two and a half weeks. And the last night in the jungle, she and I got in an argument, and and um, she actually left. She um, only had two and a half hours left to hike out to where she was to the water highway, but she left and, and we haven't talked since. So that was an unfortunate um, ending to our um, transit of the Darien Gap was that breakdown in, in our relationship and um, of two and a half weeks, our relationship of two and a half weeks. And <laughs> it was, so um, that was probably the, the, the most frustrating or disappointing of, of, of my transit, um, the bike, the bike ran well, the, um, the, um, the, the workers worked hard. Um, the, um, you know, everything I brought, um, t- took care of what I needed. Like I said, if, if the only thing after 12 years of planning was, I, I wish I had some antihistamine. I, I feel like it, I did a pretty good job of planning. Well, that's a good thing. So what about the terrain itself? Like we talked about, you you had this 100cc Suzuki, what would you say, 190 pounds? That's a pretty light bike, so good choice to go through there. Um, but this is not easy terrain, so how is it to uh, to cross this with the mountains and the jungle? Yeah, so um, anybody that wants to cross the Darien Gap with a motorcycle, I tell them two things. One, um, start, at the, um, start at the trailhead with a, an enduro um, dirt bike because I couldn't cross um, a lot of the train or go up a lot of the mountains that um, a dirt bike could do. And then I also um, recommend a lot of cross training. You need to be terribly fit because you're talking about 90, 95 degrees temperature, 90, 95% humidity. Um, You're driving on these trails that have vines grabbing your handlebars and your foot pegs, and you're going over sloppy wet bogs and, and rocks and mud and um, I could only ride for about 15 to 20 minutes at a time before I was completely exhausted. Um, now if I'd been more fit it would have been better if I'd been on a dirt bike versus a pizza delivery bike it would have been better. <laughs> uh, and the bike performed well. Um, it, um, the only thing that um, was happening was the, um, the brake pedal and the um, the shifter lever um, kept bending back 180 degrees, but something about that metal, it never broke. I could bend it right back and it would keep trucking. So. 
pliable bike. Take a pliable bike. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a yeah, yeah. Good with their um, calisthenics. That's funny. Now you said uh, I think I saw that you said Paya was your your favorite village you had come across, and I think maybe that was the the YouTube videos I saw of you riding kids around. Was that right? Yeah. So uh, as soon as you uh, as soon as you enter the Darien and enter the water highway, you 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 pass by various villages, some with more blacks, some with more um, of the Kuna Indians, and um, some poor, some richer. And Paya was definitely the, the prettiest, uh, wealthiest um, Kuna um, town. And it was the end of the water highway, so it was, it was magical in that sense. Because as you, as you get um, further up the, the river system, you can no longer power up. You have to pull up. Um, the waters are so shallow that they're using poles to get over the rocky part. But you get into the village, and, and um, I spent about two hours riding four to five kids um, on on the bike. They would jump on, and two or three minutes later, I would tell them to change, and more more kids would jump on. And, and so that was actually one of my um, favorite kind of village experiences. But, um, yeah, so I think it's just the, the beauty and the and the solidarity or the uh, solitude uh, into the road type of community and, and just the experience with the kids was, was kind of um, the best part of that that community. Plus it wasn't, um, awfully poor. Whereas there's a, a lot of those communities that were just kind of dusty, dried up little towns. Right. Right. Yeah. I can imagine. Bent Gate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for more than 20 years. Fall is here, but the mountains are still open for great hiking and climbing. Time to break out the hiking boots, rock climbing shoes, and tents. Gear materials and designs are more evolved than ever. From the latest ultralight gear to the tried-and-true classics, Bent Gate has the premier brands for climbing, hiking, and camping essentials, including Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice on destinations, getting started, or on fine-tuning your quiver of gear? The Bent Gate staff are all passionate adventurers who can give you the data and advice you need. Bent Gate is also hosting numerous events and speakers this summer, so please check out their events page at bentgate.com for more information as well as to see their full product selection. Try Paleo Meals to Go freeze-dried backpacking meals. The wholesome gluten-free ingredients follow the Paleo diet, providing you with the lasting energy you require on your adventures. Visit www.paleomealstogo.com and enter TACK25 at checkout to save 25% off your order. So that was one of the things that that kind of surprised me. And, you know, we're naive about things until we research them. And and admittedly, I was naive about the Darien Gap. And, you know, in my imagination is just a bunch of dense jungle and and mountains and swamps with without much life other than the FARC tromping around and and, um, doing bad things. So as 
as you research something, you realize there's a lot more to it, obviously. And one of the things I realized was that this is not just a, a dense jungle with mountains and, and uh, soldiers are going to do bad things. It's There's a lively community here. There's a lot of little villages uh, inter, intertwined within the Darien Gap. So it was kind of a, a neat realization. Correct. Yeah, I didn't know exactly what to expect um, before I, I got into it either. I, I knew... You know, I had my book knowledge of what I expected, but until I got there, I had no idea, you know, what the, the black communities, the African communities look like versus the, the Indian communities and the, the poor versus the, the richer communities. But yeah, there's an um, active um, village trail system. And by the way, a little side note, interesting side note, a lot of um, American intent immigrants actually transit Darien Gap, around 50,000 a year on foot. Uh, they enter in Ecuador, and their intent is to get into America, and they actually um, walk through the Darien Gap, and we ran into two of their um, of their bodies, actually, because, like, similar to the Mexican or the Latin American immigrants in the Arizona deserts or, or New Mexico deserts, um, they're not prepared for the, the heat and the exhaustion and and they and they pass and we ran into two of those um on the trail yeah that's uh that's probably not a a very good site on your trip that's for sure yeah there is a lot of uh uh, migrant traffic immigration coming through that that area all right well i wanted to give you some time to talk about your tour company you alluded to uh, alluded to it earlier so it's rtw motor tours and one of the neat things about this is uh, your company is also doing Darien Gap crossings for, for people that want to go through and try it themselves. So between that and some of the, the Cuba tours, I'd like to hear more about that. Okay. So, yeah, I, a few years ago, I, I began uh, a tour company. It's called RTW, Around the World Moto Tours. We offer um, on four continents um, tours on motorcycles and anywhere from you know 100 cc motorcycles up to full dress harleys in cuba and we have iceland morocco cuba um the baja up to alaska Um, we have three or four guides in our company a couple of our might be considered celebrities one alex chacon of modern motorcycle diaries and the other one is um, chris baker of Mimoto Fidel, um, about his travels in, in Cuba and his um, GS in, um, in, I think it was 1996. Yeah, I had seen uh, Chris Baker as I was doing a little bit of research, and uh, he's uh, supposed to be a, a pretty pretty good expert on Cuba. And actually, I wanted to talk to you more about that, too. I mean, with the, the hurricane having just uh, beat the, the snot out of Cuba, um, how do tours look like over there? Have you seen enough reports back from the damage? Uh, I just talked with Chris today, and he said that he has to cancel some of his trips because of the damage. Um, and so, you know, I don't have the details, but I do know that um, he he guides actively for around eight months out of the year in the Darien. I'm sorry, in, in Cuba and um, a number of his um, tours have been canceled because of the damage. Okay. So describe the, we're getting, I want to get back into the Darien Gap uh, tours as well, but describe the Cuba tours a little bit. Again, I mean, as Americans, most of us haven't had a chance to get over there and see what it's about. So 
Um, can you describe a little bit about that, what somebody might expect when they're over there on a motorcycle tour? Yeah, so as I mentioned, in 2004, I was able to um, take my motorcycle there. And um, since uh, legally through different um, through different um, permits that are allowed, but then um, for almost anyone in 2011, Obama authorized what we call people to people for Americans, where as long as we're interacting with the, lo- with the locals, were authorized to um, to um, travel to Cuba legally and um, have those interactions, and it's a 800 mile long island. And in 2004, I was able to do 2,500 miles um, and pretty much see every every corner and and you know from the um, tobacco growing regions in the in the west to um, one morning I woke up overlooking a bay where Columbus landed. Um, on his first tour of, of the Americas, and um, you're going to see, you know, how the communist um, government of of Cuba, um, you know, handles um, the people and what their emphasis is, the, um, the medical and the uh, infrastructure and the education, and and unfortunately the the uniform poverty of the of the country. They're happy people, but they're uh, very poor people uniformly, and I guess that's um, maybe not too surprising in a true communist um, country. Right. Well, it definitely gives a uh, a different depth and uh, and uh, a way to travel, something else to see and experience life, you know, in, a, in another area, another society. Oh yeah, it's it's a beautiful country and and um, a lot of culture and and. Um, from Old Havana to um, Guantanamo Bay and and um, and and a lot of the um, colonial history you can see also. Yep. Okay. Now about the uh, the Darien Gap tours that you are looking to put together. Let's talk about that a little bit because this is uh, this is probably not a tour for the for the faint of heart. It's something you probably need to be mm-hmm. pretty prepared for. So tell me about that. Yeah. So the Darien Gap tours will be for somebody that you know, completely, um, understands the, the risk, um, associated both to, um, from FARC and from the jungle transit. It was, it was the hardest thing. My transit was the hardest thing I've ever chosen to do, but it was also one of the most beautiful places I've been and one of the most magical environments I've been in. Um, so, you know, I want anybody that's interested in doing it to, to know that, uh, we'll do it with, um, dirt bikes, and we will um, make sure that whoever does it is a extremely capable. Um, I have a a rider coach that can test them for their um, their ability off road, and and then um, also the um, I think it's somebody that you know wants to you know wants to experience um, you know something so very few people have done as riding the Daring Gap with a motorcycle. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that's an amazing opportunity. Well, if you want to go check out some of these tour options, uh, JD runs with his his fellow motorcycle riders. Go check out rtwmototours.com and see what the, what they have for you. Okay, well, I would like to leave off with a, a good story, you know. So we've talked about some some scary things and uncomfortable topics uh, dealing with the FARC and and things that can happen down there. But what's uh, an amazing story about something that that uh, came out of this trip? Well. I think it was a 
you know, beyond just the realization of a dream, there was some, you know, some pretty cool, pretty cool happenings. You know, um, I, I had a number of, um, porters that were with me and, and, you know, uh, after the first few days, I was able to get them running well and get the, you know, the whole group, um, transiting well. And, and we would normally run from around six in the morning till around four o'clock in the afternoon. And, and one, one day we shut off a little early and, and we were in the middle of the Darien and, and I found this kind of secluded, um, section of the, of the Creek we were in and was able to get washed up and I looked up and there's this big fallen tree and it had, um, moss and, and little trees growing on top of it. And it was just a, a beautiful picture. And that was probably, you know, one of the most memorable or, or magical, you know, environments was that afternoon after a few days in the jungle and working our, our butts off, um, with just to have that little respite and that just the solitude of the, the Darien jungle. Cool. Very cool. All right. Well, JD, man, it was uh, cool to hear about this Darien gap trip. It was, uh, definitely, I was intrigued in hearing the story. Uh, it's a, it's an area that many of us don't know much about, and uh, the fact that you crossed it and the fifth documented person to do it on a motorcycle is pretty cool. So congratulations on that. And thanks for spending some time with me to tell me all about it. Yep. Thank you, Travis. I appreciate it. All right, guys. And go check out rtwmototours.com. Some of their tours are the Darien Gap, the Baja, uh, Dead Horse, Alaska, Cuba, Colombia, Peru. And it looks like you guys even take some tips. If somebody wants to do a custom trip, they can let you know what they might want to do. And uh, you guys can probably put something together for him. So correct. Good deal. All right, JD. Well, you have a good evening. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Travis. All right. You have heard all the hype around paleo, low carb, organics, diet powders, and the lot. How does one sort out what really works? Good news. Gary Collins has done the homework for you. Regain and maintain your health and live that life of vitality. Learn more at primalpowermethod.com.